All right. Let's go ahead and jump into our series today. Do you guys miss uh, some questions from Jason? Yeah. Some of y'all waiting for one of those? I actually heard that he was going to jump in through video and send us a question. Hey, uh, excuse me. Hey. Um, look, guy. I know we're wrapping up uh, asking for a friend, and I had a couple of uh, important questions for you, but I couldn't be there. You know, I'm on vacation in Reno, but uh, do you have a second? Can we, can we go through a couple of questions? You, are, you guys good with that? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, okay. Um, we'll start easy. Uh, and we're going to get a little harder as we go. Right, is that all right? Good. Um, all right. So, uh, first question. What time of day was Adam created? I'm going to say Adam was created a little bit before Eve. Oh. <laughs> right? Is that true or not? Yes. Yeah, yeah. A little bit before the evening time. Um, okay. Um, Keep them coming. Right. What, uh, let me think about this. All right. Uh, what, did, uh, what did Adam say to his wife the day before Christmas? Ah, of course. Merry Christmas, Eve. <laughs> right? The day before um, Christmas, Merry Christmas, Eve. Okay. <laughs> Good try. This is a kicker. I'm here in, uh, I'm here in my, uh, my, uh, my in-law's garage, so um, this is inspired. Um, what kind of car did Jesus drive? What kind of car Go. did Jesus drive? This is an easy question. He drove a Chrysler, of course. <laughs> it was a Chrysler. Um, it's been weeks of this. Uh, I quit. Everybody, uh, listen close. See you next week. <laughs> hey, uh, I hope you guys have been enjoying some of our funny but tough but not tough uh, biblical joke questions. Um, we have made it to the last week of our series here at Walk Church that we've titled Asking for a Friend, Finding Answers to Life's Toughest Questions. And I just want to bring a reminder for those who are joining us for the first time here today that this was a series that you created here at our church that we wanted to hear from our church family on questions that were going on in your heart. And we collected the, the, the data for all of March, and you guys helped shape this series, and I hope that you've enjoyed this series as we've been answering these tough questions. The five questions that were the most popular among our church that we've been answering is, one, how can we hear from God? And we talked about that the first week, too. How can a person know for sure that they are saved? And we talked about eternal security and what the Bible says about that. Three, what happens to us when we die? Death is certain for everybody, and we want to make sure that we know what happens for certain at that moment. We want to make sure that we're right with Jesus in those days. Uh, number four, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? A difficult question that is a hot subject in our culture today, and we were able to address that last week, and I hope that you guys were encouraged by that uh, word from God's word. And question number five, the last one that we haven't got to, which is the one we're going to talk about today, is what does the Bible say about relationships? What does the Bible say about relationships. This is an important question for us to ask. One, because we want to stay true to the series. And we saw several questions come in that says, what does the Bible say about dating? Am I going to be single forever? And I'm like, how, how, do, we, how do we answer that, right? Like, um, how, what, what does it look like for me to be a good husband or a, a good wife? Or what does the Bible say about the marriage relationship? 
Things like that came in several times from you, and therefore we wanted to take time in our series to address the questions that are on your hearts this morning. Um, we're going to jump into the word, but before we do that, I just felt impressed on my heart this morning. Just Would you guys just encourage um, me one more time and just be reminded that, that there is amazing kids ministry happening right across the walkway in the 412. I was talking to my wife earlier, and I was just like, man, how cool is it that there's going to be 30, 40, 50 youngsters jumping in different rooms to hear about Jesus today? It just impressed, it, it impacted my heart. And because I, I have a, a, a young boy in there to know that he's singing songs to Jesus this morning, learning about him today is good news. So if you're a family here and you've got kids in the kids ministry, just know that you know that you know that they're going to be, they're going to they're be teaching you one day, all right, if they're not already. And I'm encouraged by that reality. If you're a parent in the room, Mother's Day is right around the corner. Be, be excited, be encouraged, and let's go ahead and jump into our series this morning, what does the Bible say about relationship? The subject of relationship seems to be a hot topic as well in our culture today. Uh, I don't know if you are on social media, but arguably the most popular social media application out right now would maybe be Instagram. And I, I went ahead and saw what was trending on social media platforms, the hashtag relationship goals has been labeled 8,083,183 times. People are excited and concerned about relationship goals. Don't raise your hand. Has anybody ever hashtag relationship goals in here? Yeah, a little bit? Come on. I, I might have seen it. Um, you, you can't walk through a magazine aisle without seeing magazines upon magazines that are writing all about other people's relationships, right? You can't check out of a grocery store without turning your head and learning about famous people's Relationships. TV show popular on ABC is the show The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. Some of you guys got excited. Some of you took a gasp. Some of you gave a woo-hoo and you need to repent. Um, I'm just playing. Uh, unless God tells you that. Uh, but I, 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 I was doing my... 9.5 million people tuned in to watch The Bachelor weekly, right? And this is a show about one man on his journey to find a real relationship. People love it, right? He's got 29 girls to choose from, and he's dating them all, and he's going out and people are like, yeah, I want to spend my time watching that. Because our culture is fascinated with relationship, and relationship is a good thing. Relationship is a God thing. And I want you to be reminded that God is a God who is passionate about relationship. All throughout the Bible... We see God talking about relationship, not just talking about relationship, but living in relationship. Let me go ahead and show you in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the first part of the verse, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I love looking at that because I want to emphasize, I just want to highlight these two words, us and our. It's so neat that God, not only is he passionate about community, God himself is a community, Right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit live in perfect community. So when he creates us in his image, he creates us in a spirit of relationship. That God has created us to have relationship with people. This doesn't just have to do with 
dating and married relationship is, goes across the board. It grows to, to one another. As you survey through the Bible, you'll see God doing his thing in creation, in, in, in relationship. Even, even in creation, God, God looks, right? And he, 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 I, wanna, I want you guys to help me with this really quick, all right? If I point to you, I want you to say, that's good, all right? Can you do it? Let's try it. Try it one more time. All right, let's just go ahead and try this really quick so you guys can understand what I'm talking about. God spoke on the first day. He created light, and he said, on the second day, God created the oceans and the waves and the sea, and he, he created a separation between heaven and earth, and he said, the third day, he created land and vegetation, and for all you kale and spinach and all that good stuff, right, God is saying, I got you, I got your back. He created all that on the third day, and he said, on the fourth day, God created the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky, right? And this expanse. And, and God looked at it and he said, that's good. that's good. Day number five, God created these creatures to fill the sky. He created birds and he created ocean animals and, he, and the aquatic fishes and different things like that. And he looked at it all. And you know what he said? He said, that's good. That's good. On day six, he created man and he created man all by himself. And you know what God said? That's not what he said. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I didn't point to you. Let me show you. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. The first time in all of creation, the first moment on, on this day, God says, that's, that's not good. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him it's God speaking to the church this morning. It's God speaking through his word this morning. And he says, I've created you for relationship. Anything outside of relationship, God says, it's not good. It's not good to be alone. We see this not just in the early points of the Bible in the book of Genesis. We see this in the wisdom books of the Bible. Did you know that there's specific books that are devoted specifically to the subject of wisdom? The books uh, written by King Solomon himself, who's known to be the wisest man to ever live outside of Jesus, wrote the book Proverbs, 31 chapters with a lot of different sayings of wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes, which is all about wisdom. Here's what he says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. He says this is just sound judgment right here. Don't isolate yourself, friends. Live in the context of relationship. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the second wisdom book, also speaks to this issue in verse 9 through 12. Maybe you're familiar with these verses. It says, two are better than one. Should we even keep reading? Right? Like, let me just highlight that for a second. I want the better. Right? Like, I, 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 if it's better than one, give me two. Some of y'all know this at the snack table, right? You over there like, you know what, the two of those look better than just one. I ain't mad at you. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil, their work. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone... Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. 
I was part of a, a wedding recently where I, I saw a couple, they, their thing, what, they, you know, there's unity sand, there's light in the eternal candle, things like that. And what they did was they had a, a three-cord rope and they just together tied it because they said, this, this thing's not going to be broken, right? Just a, just a picture of Ecclesiastes 4. This is Solomon giving us wisdom for life. So I am actually glad that you guys asked this question because God is passionate about relationship. But you know what? I think he's most passionate about a single relationship. And that's the relationship that we share with him. See, God created us to be in relationship with him. And before we get to any other relationship, I I don't want you to miss this truth. Let me give you a defining reality. Take a picture of it. Put it in your notes. Put, get a tattoo of it. Do whatever you want to do. Defining reality right here. Here's what I want you to learn. Everything flows out of our relationship with Christ. You will never be the husband that God's called you to be if you don't have a good relationship with Christ. You'll never be the wife that God has called you to be if you don't first have a good relationship with Christ. See, all of us have a relationship with Christ. Just some of us have a bad relationship with Christ. Like, answer me this. As, as a married man, let me just go ahead and throw this out here. If I were to only see Nina on Sundays for an hour and a half, what type of relationship would that be? I heard weak, I heard bad and sad. <laughs> Dang. Right? Because w- w- what that would be, wh- why do you guys go so quickly there? Because relationship takes time. Relationship takes investment. Relationship takes one another, and we want to make sure that we have a relationship with Christ. I believe that Jesus loves you so much. He wants to have a relationship with you so bad, he'll die for it, literally, right? Like, if you look at a picture of the cross, you're looking at a picture of a relationship. You're looking at a Savior who loves your sinful self so much that he'll say, I'll die to get their attention, right? Like, catch a grenade for you. Right, like Jesus did that. Like literally went on the cross, nail-pierced hands, nail-pierced feet, screaming relationship. I I love you so much. For God so loved you that he gave his son so that you could have a relationship with him. That is scandalous grace. That is God saying, man, I am so passionate about you figuring it out, that you're created for this relationship with Christ, that I I would do as much as I can, right? He says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, long ago, God spoke through the prophets. God spoke through the wisdom writers. God spoke through creation. But now he's spoken through his son. You can just survey the cross Survey the resurrected king in the empty grave. That should scream to you that God loves you. That alone is enough to show you how much he cares about you. That you don't have to pay for your sin this morning. They're already paid for if you would receive it. Right? My wife and I were, were, out, were out to dinner last week with uh, some of the mission team. And don't you love when this happens? Someone sneaks off with the check, right? And you're like, oh, here's my card. And they're like, sorry, it's already paid in full. It's like, man, that sounds like my testimony, right? Like, like, like Jesus was like, let me grab that check from you. I'm going to pay for it with my life, and you can be forgiven of your sin, your debt. Your bill is your life. 
And Jesus paid your bill in full so that, come on, I'll take that. I'll receive that reality. Man, I, your love so deep is washing over me. That's reality for me today. I hope it is for you, right? That Jesus paid your debt in full so that, everybody say so that. One more time, so that, so that you could have a relationship with him. If he doesn't pay for your sin, there's no relationship. It's a dead relationship, right? But it's paid for today so you can have a relationship with Christ and that relationship with Christ flows into every other relationship on this earth. Friendship relationships, parent-child relationships, marriage relationships, dating relationships, co-worker relationships, all types of relationships find their home in Christ. I love what Paul Tripp says in a book that he wrote on relationships. He says, relationships are messy. Can anybody amen that? Amen. Relationships are hurtful. We've never been in a relationship that hasn't disappointed us in some way, but God has created us for community, friends. Vertical community with God, horizontal community with each other. That's the truth today that we need to be reminded of, that God has created us for community, for relationship. First, this vertical relationship, and second, this horizontal relationship, which looks a lot like the cross, doesn't it? I wanna talk to you today about some specific relationships that we see in the Bible, and I wanna give you just a couple encouragements regarding what God says to this question. What does the Bible say about relationships? Because majority of the questions that came in had to do with romantic relationships or therefore a dating relationship or a marriage relationship. We're going to look at the, the context of relationships in that subject. This could be a series in its own, right? We don't have enough time to address all the different relationships in life. So I want to talk to three different groups of people this morning. All right. I want to talk to the singles in the house. I want to talk to those who are dating in the house, and I also wanna to talk to those who are married, those three different groups of people, which I believe that, that you in the room are in one of those categories, you're either single, you're dating, or you're in a married relationship, you're, you're somewhere in there, and I wanna to speak to you from God's word in one of those categories. Is that, is that all right, is that fair? Yeah. If you got all that, say amen. amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. Teach us in the next few minutes. God, I pray you would speak to the people who are single this morning. Speak directly to them, God. God, those who are in a dating or engagement relationship, God, speak to them this morning, Father. Those who are married, Father, speak to them this morning. Right now, everybody join me in this prayer and say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me go ahead and give you uh, this first encouragement today. This, I'm not giving you commands. You guys ask the question, what does the Bible say? I believe the Bible has three encouragements. The first encouragement is to the singles in the room. Here's what I, I believe the Bible would submit to you this morning. Maximize your singleness for the glory of God. And I want to I remind you, each word here is picked out carefully with wisdom and time and, and consideration. Maximize your singleness for the glory of God. I believe that all sin is is missing God's glory. So everything that we should do should aim for his glory. And we can maximize specifically towards singles for the glory of God. There's been this um, 
this misunderstanding that the Bible does not promote singleness or that the Bible is not big on singleness when I can't get away from it in the Bible. Let me just give you a few people in the Bible who happen to live single. Paul the Apostle, he actually referred to his singleness as a gift. Anna, the prayer warrior in Luke chapter 2, right when Jesus was born as a baby, he was presented in the temple and he first saw a lady named Anna who was praying for 84 years that he would come. Martha, the faithful servant of the Lord and friend of Jesus, we know her to be single in the Bible. Jeremiah, the prophet, who is a man of God and a prophet's prophet, the brother went through a lot and he was also single. Nehemiah, the faithful wall builder, we know to be single. This man of God who started this big deal, he built the wall, he was obedient, he was faithful, and God heard him. Timothy, this young pastor and protege church planter who was discipled by Paul, we know him to be single. Friends, did I forget one? Jesus was a man who was known by relationship to be single. Therefore, I want to encourage you if you are single, you are a lot like the Bible. Paul the Apostle wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, this church that was in a city called Corinth, an awesome local church that had a whole lot of problems, very much like churches today. And there were some questions that they wrote to Paul. They said, Apostle Pastor Paul, can you, can you write to us about relationships? And so we have these books, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in your Bible, it's in there, where Paul gives addressment to relationships. Let me give you one of the things that he says in this book. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28. He says, now, if you marry, you have not sinned. Can anybody amen? amen. <laughs> and if a betrothed woman, an engaged woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet, those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that, says Paul. That's kind of funny. Reading that, I was like, Wow. He continues in this same chapter of this same letter on the verse 32 through 34. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. <laughs> Challenging stuff here from the Apostle Paul. Now, I think we can all be reminded, and I'll go here in a minute, that God definitely affirms marriage. He created marriage. He blesses marriage. In Genesis chapter 1, we just looked at the verse. God says, not good for man to be alone. He created the woe man, and Adam got married, the first ever marriage. He says, no one should break it. Yet the Apostle Paul here just challenges our thinking a little bit to just say, hey, just so you know, because I meet so many people that just struggle with singleness. And, and, I, and I want to be understanding toward that, but I want to encourage you today, if you are single, maximize your singleness for the glory of God. You have an opportunity to do that. I love what Pastor David Platt says. It. He, he, went, he brought it like this. He said, could it be, brother or sister, that in singleness, your greatest impact for the kingdom of God will come not in spite of your singleness, but precisely because of your singleness. Notice what he says, your greatest impact for the kingdom of God. 
I want you to be encouraged this morning if God has you in a season of singleness to not be lonely, to not be salty, but to be godly, right? To be holy and to maximize, right? Maximize means to use every drop of it, every opportunity of it, everything that God has given you, use it for his glory, including your singleness. We see that here, right? We see in the Bible, as you look at those who were single, they used their singleness for his glory. Paul says, if you get married, your, you, your passions, right? You, you, you may be divided on what you could do and what you can't do because you have priorities now that are in front of the other, right? And, and let me just remind you, right? Pleasing to the Lord is being a godly husband and a godly wife. Yet at the same time, he says, there's things that you could do as a single that you can't do as a husband and wife at the same capacity. So therefore, in this state of singleness, friend, don't look at it as a bad thing. Look at it as a maximizing thing. That you can be the man or woman of God for God's glory at this state, at this amount, today. And you can hear from him and say, all right, God, well, what does that look like for me? What do I do with that? How can I, what if you made that your prayer? Right, you, you stop praying, God, send me the right person. You started praying, God, use me to the max. What a prayer. Like, God, I got extra time on my hands. I'll use it to the max. I don't, I don't got to cook for nobody, right? You know what I'm saying? I, I don't got to put a car seat in the car. I just got to get up and go. Use it to the max. Just saying, you can do that. Be grateful for the season that the Lord has you in, brother, sister. Use those kingdom dollars because... If you were in a relationship, you would be spending a lot more kingdom dollars. Use those kingdom dollars to the max. Right? Like, I'm meeting some people like, man, I wish I could go on the mission trip, but I got to, you know, like, certain people can go on the mission trip because they're using their singleness to the max. I don't know what your story is, friend, but I just want to remind you because I know we got a lot of awesome single people in our church. And I hope you find the right one here in our church. But if that doesn't happen, I want you to maximize maximize your singleness for the glory of God. And lastly, I'll clap with that. Redeem that thinking. Lastly, what I'll say really quick is in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, we'll see that you won't always be single. Let me give you a promise. You will not always be single. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. At the end of the day, for those who call themselves believers and receivers of Jesus, you can be, a, you can be able to take part in this glorious marriage that's coming, where the, where the bride of Christ is united with the bridegroom, Jesus, for this beautiful picture of heavenly marriage that you and I get to take a part of. I would encourage you with that message today. Let me give you the second encouragement to those who are dating. To those who are dating, it's, it's an encouragement that I think is necessary for those in the room that are dating. I would encourage you to be purposeful in your dating for the glory of God. Be purposeful in your dating for the glory of God. Maximize singleness if you're dating. Be purposeful in your dating. We see this also in this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church regarding 
relationship. Here's one of the things he says. He says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what, what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? I want to encourage you with these verses to be purposeful in your dating. In other words, for those who have a dating relationship happening in the room today, what is the purpose of it? That's my question for you to, to challenge each other with. What's our purpose for dating? Is it to glorify God? Is it to make each other better? Is it to grow deeper in Christ? Is it to love one another well? If that's not the case, then maybe you should rethink dating. Paul says it like this. He says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He gives us this picture here, right? of this, this ox in this time, and he would be traveling, and they would lay down on the ox, right, all types of bags, okay? They would put on the left side a bunch of bags. They put on the right side a, a bunch of bags. And then they, someone would get on and ride on the ox or carry it with the, with the rope, and they would travel. But if you, if you overloaded one side, it would mess up the whole trip. If you, if you made another side too light... There would be instability. There would be chaos. There would be a, a, a slowing of the journey. And that's the picture that Paul gives us for dating relationships. So he says, hey, listen, if you bring in all the Jesus into the relationship, hey, can we read? Hey, you want to go to church? You know, hey, you, you know, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we should set some boundaries up. Maybe we should, you know, like, let's talk about this. And the other person is just like, just nothing, just being pulled over here, right? Paul would say, don't be unequally yoked. You guys, you want to bring a hundred and a hundred into a relationship. So there's this misconception like, hey, let's do 50-50. I'll bring 50%, you bring 50%. The Bible calls us to go 100-100. You bring your 100% relationship with Jesus, all that maximizing you've been doing, bring it into the relationship. I'll bring my maximizings into the relationship and we'll do this together. That is an equally yoked couple. He says that here to the Corinthian church as we were seeing some, some dysfunctional dating in this church. If you read this letter, you'll see all types of dysfunction. Dating that was weird, dating that just shouldn't have been happening. There was, there was all types of sexual sin happening. And so Paul says, let me address that. Don't be unequally yoked with those who are worshiping Baal, right? If you're a worshiper of Jesus, you're not going to go anywhere with that. Get that situated before you go any further. Get equally yoked. I want to give you three examinations really quick for those who are in a dating relationship. Those who are in a dating relationship. Let me give you these three examinations. Maybe you write them down. Maybe you think about it. Maybe you examine with your partner you're dating. You're like, man, you causing some trouble today, Hyde. And I'm like, yes. Yes. Here we go. Is the person you are dating the real deal? Can you just answer that? Now, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to define what the real deal is. I don't, I, don't be saying, oh, yeah, the muscles are the real deal. Or, like, body is the real deal. 
is the person the real deal when it comes to relationship with Christ. Remember, the greatest thing you bring into your relationship is your relationship with Jesus. The greatest thing that you could bring into your relationship is Jesus. So is the person you're dating the real deal when it comes to Christ? That's what you want to answer first off. If they're not the real deal, then push pause on dating. That's my encouragement to you this morning. Second, have you together established healthy boundaries in your relationship? These things will be helpful for the person, the man or woman of God that is in a dating relationship to have boundaries that are healthy. We see this in the Bible throughout from the beginning to the end, God is passionate about boundaries. He's setting in place boundaries because boundaries are good. They keep us in line. And you've got, if, you got a, if you're an athlete in the room, right, you don't want to step out of bounds, right? You don't want to step on the line, not even a little bit. You'll still get called out. God has placed boundaries for our good and his glory. We see this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I know we're swimming in the deep end when we read this verse. That might sting a little bit, might be challenging. I understand it. But let me just go ahead and remind you, set some high wall boundaries on the marriage bed. No amens for that. Amen. <laughs> right? If you're dating, everybody look at me. If you're dating, if you're in a dating relationship, don't go in the room and shut the door. I said it. Amen. Amen. Put some boundaries on that door and put some huge boundaries on that bed. Marriage should be honored by all. All of us should honor it for sure. We should have a high honor toward the married relationship. The marriage bed should be kept pure. I don't know how you define pure. Maybe you define it set apart, holy, righteous, pure. Keep it that way until you get married. That, that means if you, gotta, if you gotta go walk around the block, if you gotta leave, if you gotta go to the park, if you gotta go to the mall, if you gotta, if you gotta go get a water cup at McDonald's because you don't got no money, do whatever you gotta do to, to set boundaries in your relationship. If there are triggers, brother and sister that are dating, if you have triggers that you know if you're in this atmosphere or if you smell that or if you say that or if you think that, that that's gonna cause you to go to a place where it breaks the boundaries, set those boundaries. Communicate those things. Just say, hey, every time you say that, it, it takes me to a place that I don't wanna go. Every time we talk about things like that, every time you do that, every time you, you, you set the boundaries on it. If it's kissing, if it's touching, set healthy boundaries. And let me tell you something, if the partner has an issue with it, they're not the real deal. They're not the real deal. There should be a light bulb that says, you ain't the real deal. I got to go back to maximizing my singleness. No matter what, be the real deal. You'll save, you'll save the pastoral team at church a whole lot of counseling because, because we're just saying, hey, be the real deal. Just be the real deal. Hey, do you think she's the right one? Is she the real deal? Well, not the real deal. Is he the right one? Well, you know, he's, he went to church when he was eight. I'm like... I was, what was I doing at eight? Go ahead and pursue the real deal. Equally yoked. Hundred, hundred. 
hundredfold relationships. They'll still be messy, as Paul Tripp said. They'll still, they'll still be hurt. They'll still be disagreements at times, but at least you're the real deal when it comes to Christ. Let me give you the third point of examination. So real deal in Christ. Boundaries are set up. And is the end goal of your dating to get married and glorify God or not? Have that question before any other question. All right? Well, any other deep question, ask the person's name first, all right? Get to know them a little bit first. Any, that, that might be weird. Like, yo, you trying to get married or not? Like, whoa, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> get to know that person, but before you cross the line of getting serious, just clarify the end goal. I think there's so much help in clarifying the end goal. So like a football team says, hey, the end goal for us is to cross that finish line to, get, to score a touchdown. We're going to do everything we can to make sure we cross the line. We want to score a touchdown, right? That's the end goal, to win the game. The end goal for dating should always be marriage. Let me go ahead and tell you something. The Bible knows no such thing of casual dating. Like, hey, why are you dating? I don't know, it's just dating to date. <laughs> Check it out, cool. You know, trying it out. That is a recipe for disaster. Be purposeful in your dating. What, let's get back to the original question. What's the purpose of your dating? If you're dating to glorify God in marriage, then that is a dating to be pursued. If the, the relationship's 100-100, or hey, maybe it's not 100-100, but it's, it's getting there. Maybe it's like 80-70, and you're like, you know what? We both keep on getting better. Let's keep going to church. Let's keep going to charge group. Let's keep plugging in. Let's get some accountability. Let's keep setting boundaries. Y'all keep getting... Keep getting there in Christ and work toward a beautiful, God-glorifying marriage. That would be my encouragement to you. So singles, maximize your singleness for the glory of God. If God puts the right person in front of you, be purposeful in your dating. Have a, have a purpose for your dating, courting, whatever you want to call it. Just be purposeful with it, okay? Be purposeful. Set up boundaries and make sure you clarify the end goal, which is, hey, we about, we about the ring or not? Just got to clarify it. Let me go ahead and finish today by speaking to the married couples in the room. Uh, I would say it like this. Prioritize your marriage for the glory of God. Everybody say prioritize. Prioritize, prioritize your marriage for the glory of God. For those who are married, do not stop prioritizing your spouse for God's glory. Too many married couples get in this rhythm of life and they forget about the prioritization of marriage. To be honest, I don't think you ever should stop dating your wife. Amen. You should never stop dating your husband. Amen. You should be prioritizing those things. Clap a chum, clap a chum, clap a chum. My clap died out as it got close. But be prioritizing your marriage. When you stop prioritizing your marriage, right, you'll get distracted on things that you shouldn't be distracted upon. You'll allow the enemy to creep in and create thoughts that aren't the right thoughts to have, right? You'll allow other voices to speak for your spouse. If you stop prioritizing, when I hear the word prioritize, I, I hear make it important, Make it real. Communicate value in your marriage. Proverbs 18, verse 22, as we continue to look at these wisdom books from Solomon, he says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Can I get an amen from some brothers in the room? 
and obtains favor from the Lord. Marriage is a good thing. Not only is it a good thing, but there is favor that comes from God upon it. But I want to I remind you to, to prioritize your marriage for the glory of God. And here's, here's a couple ways to prioritize, and we'll be, we'll be, we'll be finished. I got I to gotta, I gotta close, although I feel like I could talk about this stuff for a while. Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 27 says it like this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Husbands, right? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she may be holy and without blemish. I, I love these chunks husbands wives if you really want to prioritize your marriage spend some time in ephesians 5 and talk about these things one way to prioritize your marriage is to bring the gospel into the center point of your marriage here's why i say that because when i read these verses i see a lot of christ church husband wife christ gospel laid his life down bride of christ church husband, right? It's all together. The greatest picture of marriage in the Bible is Jesus and the church. The, the only thing that can parallel with something as weighty as Jesus and the church is marriage. That's why marriage is so important. That's why marriage is such a big deal. That's why it's, it shouldn't be taken lightly. It should be taken seriously because it's a holy thing. It should be held in honor among all but when i see this right here i see paul saying in the first in verse 22 he's he's writing to the wives and then he jumps to 25 he's he's writing to the husbands and he's saying use jesus as your model use the church as your model here's here's what he means by that husbands here's a way for you to prioritize all the husbands in the room listen up all the men who are dating and working toward this listen up here's a way for you to prioritize in your marriage or in your future marriage you ready Study the person of Jesus. See how he deals with the church. Lead like that. When I see Jesus in the church, I see Jesus love the church. I see Jesus lay his life down for the church. I see Jesus be super patient with the church. Come on, anybody? Has Jesus been patient with us? So patient. Has he been loving toward us? Has he had to correct us at times? Has he had to challenge us at times? Does he want the best for us always? That's Jesus and the church. And now Jesus says, husbands, do that with your wife. Prioritize your wife by doing that. As you, as you look at the church, Paul then goes and says, wives, look and study the church in her relationship with Jesus. The church is called to follow Christ, right? The church is called to listen to Christ. The church is called to be obedient to Christ, knowing all along that Christ is always good, always right, always true. Wives, if you can become like the New Testament church and husbands, you can become more like Jesus, that's a hundredfold marriage. 
That's what he's talking about in Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. That's the parallel. Self the Savior, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. He's using a picture here. He goes on and says, husbands, love your wives. Well, how, how, do, how am I supposed to love on my wife? As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Well, he laid his life down. He gave himself up for her. That's called sacrificial initiating love. Who should be the first person to apologize in a marriage argument? The husband. We got some woos for that, right? Let me tell you why. This might be revelation for somebody. You know why it's the husband? Because Christ always initiates with the church. Christ comes down from heaven. Christ rescues the church. Christ forgives the church. Christ dies for the church. Christ loves the church. Husbands be initiators. Initiate date night. Initiate time together. Initiate deep conversations. Initiate, 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 because that's how Christ loved the church. And be reminded, be reminded, the greatest relationship that you bring to your marriage is your personal relationship to Jesus. I remember when I once talked to Pastor Vance, who's a mentor in my life, I said, oh, how do I live Ephesians 5.25? And he, you know, he looked at me and he said, you can't, but he can through you. The, the deeper I love Jesus, the more he loves my wife through me. The better a husband I be. The more my wife loves Jesus, I can just see Christ in her, leading through her. Prioritize your marriage by prioritizing Christ. Maybe you've heard of the, the, the triangle diagram, right? Husband on one side, wife on the other side, Christ at the top. Go grow closer to Christ, grow closer to each other. That's the goal of your marriage. So I, I would encourage you with these things. There's a lot more that we could cover, but we got to wrap up today. Our worship team is going to get ready to close us out, and we're going to be finished up this afternoon. Would you pray with me? Let's pray.